Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Elizabeth May lays out the Green Party conditions for supporting the Liberals. We find those areas where we have emerging consensus. And when you look across the platforms, there are a number of areas. How will Justin Trudeau make sure Alberta and Saskatchewan are represented in his government? He needs to come up with some way of trying to find voices that he can rely on, if not in cabinet, then within his circle. Um, that can at least, you know, provide some input from those provinces. And I think that's going to preoccupy a lot of his time uh, right off the start. And Catherine McKenna responds to the vulgar vandalism at her office. But it's not going to chase me out of politics. just going to make me recommit to making it a better place for women, but for diversity of all sorts. It's Friday, October 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So Elizabeth May, the leader of the Green Party, laid out yesterday her conditions for supporting the Liberal government. Now, of course, the Greens don't hold the balance of power, um, so it's not it's not like these are conditions the government has to meet in order to stay in office. But it is interesting to see what she has to say about uh, this minority situation. Yeah, she basically said uh, there's one thing that she will absolutely uh, defend and go to the wall for, and that's uh, tougher action on climate change. So she said that she, the party, would not be able to vote confidence at any point um, unless the government had a climate plan that was grounded in science and consistent with the intergovernmental panels on climate change, that's the UN panel from last year. And she urged the government to actually increase its targets that we haven't met yet, but increase the targets uh, when it goes to the next UN conference in December. So uh, you could see a potential scenario where Elizabeth May actually sides with the Conservatives to bring down the Liberals. That being said, the Greens uh, do not believe in caucus discipline, so I don't know if she can actually say that. That being said, the rest of her letter was more constructive. Um, It highlighted areas of commonality that she, the Greens, the Liberals, and even the NDP have in common. So they she mentioned um, pharmacare, universal national pharmacare, which is not actually something the Liberals have um, clearly said that they support, but um, May would like to see that, and she would like to see action a lot faster than what the Liberals outlined in their platform. She's hoping to see action next year in 2020. She also talked about investments in mental health care, addressing the opioid crisis, um, helping seniors, increasing affordable housing, um, reducing cell phone charges, and protecting elections uh, from untruth, uh, inaccurate information. We know that she feels that her campaign was really hurt um, by uh, misinformation by the NDP. Um, so that's something else. And then I just want to mention something that really surprised me from her press conference, Mark, is that she suggested um, electoral reform, but uh, did not u- go the usual suggestion of a PR system. She suggested a ranked ballot, which is what Justin Trudeau said um, in the last mandate that he would have liked to see the committee come up with. Uh, at the time, the opposition argued that would uh, unfairly benefit the Liberals and they and nobody recommended that system. But Elizabeth May seems to 
be suggesting a new route to electoral right. reform, so who knows? Interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure anybody was going to go there after what happened last <laughs> time around. But uh, but what's interesting is, you know, I think before the election, both the Green Party and the NDP were taking strong stands on uh, climate change and against pipelines. And now mm-hmm. it seems more like we're going to we're going to see those parties saying, well, we're not going to support the government on its pipelines, but we are prepared to support a government that supports pipelines on other issues, right? Yeah, I mean, the Prime Minister drew that uh, line in the sand very clearly in his press conference on Wednesday, saying uh, he was still moving ahead with TMX and that decision was not going to be revisited. So the ball was basically in the opposition's court to say, well, do we want to put you know, do we want to work on other things or do we yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater and start all over again? Now, for Justin Trudeau, he still has the issue of uh, what to do about Alberta and Saskatchewan not being represented in his caucus. Uh, wh- what are you hearing in terms of the options he has for his cabinet and to make sure that uh, he isn't contributing in some way to Alberta and Saskatchewan feeling alienated by the current political dynamics? Yeah, he said on Wednesday that he was going to be reflective on how he was going to move forward, and he talked about uh, consulting with a lot of people. We know he's made a number of calls to uh, mayors, and he's spoken to the premiers this week. Um, There are a number of options at his fingertips. Uh, The most obvious one to me um, is appointing the NDP MP in Edmonton, Strathcona, the new MP, Heather McPherson. She's the only, uh, she describes herself as a progressive, the only so-called progressive elected basically between the Manitoba-Saskatchewan border and the Okanagan, where the NDP have another seat. Um, that seems to make the most sense, but obviously that depends on whether Ms. McPherson would want to switch uh, uh, partisan allegiances um, and join a Trudeau cabinet. The last time this happened was in 2006 when David Emerson, who had been the industry minister in uh, Paul Martin's government, uh, won re-election as a liberal in Vancouver, Kingsway, and then came out as a conservative in Stephen Harper's government, where he served as a trade minister, I think. Right. Um, that caused a huge backlash in his riding, though. He did not re-offer in 2008, and Vancouver, Kingsway has been held by the NDP ever since, so not without risk. Um, appointing a senator is uh, a possibility, and we know that uh, Justin Trudeau has um, tried to make the Senate a less partisan place. You know, he's appointed a non-part, or I've, I, I think it's more arm's-length appointment process is a better way of describing it, uh, to ensure that the Senate is less partisan. Uh, he could, but he, you know, he could argue extraordinary circumstances, uh, you know, require extraordinary exceptions. Sure. Um, he could put somebody that um, is already in the Senate uh, in his cabinet. Um, Grant Mitchell is probably the most likely option. He's an Alberta senator. He's been a senator for a very long time. He used to caucus with the Liberals, and now he's a non-affiliated member. Basically, he serves as um, the Senate's version of a whip. So he already kind of defends the Trudeau government in the Senate. Is it that much of a stretch to appoint him to sit in the in cabinet, I don't know. Yeah, so he'd, uh, he'd be picking somebody there who's sort of a pre-nonpartisan Senate senator, right? I mean, Grant Mitchell is a liberal. Yeah. But... So, yeah, it'd be different from uh, picking somebody that, who was appointed as an independent, right? He was he was originally appointed as a liberal, so... Exactly. Yeah. And, he's, and he's serving a kind of 
uh, organizational role for the party anyway, right. for the government anyway. Yeah. If he wants to not do that, um, Paula Simons, who was appointed as an independent, she's a former journalist, she coxes with the independent senators group. Frankly, I don't think she would even agree, but, you know, I'm thinking outside the box yeah. here. Um, Saskatchewan's uh, Lily Dick actually coxes with the Liberals, not obviously the Trudeau MP Liberals, because they were kicked out of Trudeau's caucus in 2004, but she's still an affiliated Liberal with her Senate colleagues. Uh, Trudeau could also just appoint somebody from Saskatchewan because there is a vacancy. Um, we know Ralph Goodale, who lost his seat on Monday, has said he has absolutely no interest in being a senator. Um, he was pretty firm about that. But there are options, and um, there uh, are precedents, obviously, for right. this. Even Trudeau's father um, appointed uh, people from both sides, like um, Hazen Argue, who was a former CCS leader, um, was appointed to serve in um Pierre Elliott Trudeau's cabinet in the 1980s when he had no representation from BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, there's other options, but they're even further afield. Sure. All right, let's um, let's talk about Andrew Scheer for a moment because uh, he's given a couple of interviews in the last 24 hours about his future and about what went wrong in the election campaign. Uh, what do you what do you think Andrew Scheer has learned from this process and and what's next for him in terms of shoring up support to to try to stay on as leader? Well, he hasn't told us what he's learned from this process, but what he's telling everybody is that there's an internal review going on. Uh, Lisa Raitt was on television on Thursday night and said that the party expected to do a lot better in the 905 and in 416. Um, so it either suggests the party had bad data um, or something else uh, went completely wrong. Um, there is a feeling in the party that um, they have already spent millions of dollars building the sheer brand, uh, that there is and a sound argument, you know, Stephen, nobody thought Stephen Harper could win. Uh, Stephen Harper, it took him a, two elections to bring down uh, Paul Martin. Um, Mr. Shear is trying to make that argument. You know, I I increased the vote count. We have more um, more voters than the Liberals. I, we increased our seat count. Um, and that it's kind of like tinkering around the edges. Now, there will be a leadership review vote at the party's convention next year in Toronto. And Toronto might actually be a bad sign for Andrew Scheer. Convention delegates vote and delegates are kind of weighted by their region. But oftentimes we see far more delegates from the from the region where the convention is being held. Like right. if we think back about Thomas Mulcair, for example, one of the reasons that um, he lost his job was because the convention was held in Edmonton and there were so many more delegates from Edmonton there to vote who were quite upset with um, with his stances. Yeah. So um, if you have a lot of urbanites or urbanites or suburbanites who feel that um, Andrew Sears' position on same-sex marriage and uh, abortion, for example, make him unelectable in urban areas or unelectable with urban women, um, then that might... Uh, that that may be one of the reasons why um, there is a call for a leadership right. review vote. So it's not that he would lose his job necessarily. Uh, but he might have to in, face the vote. But exactly. Yeah. All right. Uh, just as we wrap up, uh, I think a lot of people were very shocked and disturbed by the development yesterday that there was a vulgarity written across the face of Liberal MP 
Catherine McKenna uh, on a photograph of her that's in the window of her campaign office. And um, uh, I'm not sure what there is to say about this, except that there's no place for this in our politics and that uh, I think people across the political spectrum were reacting that way yesterday. Yeah, Ontario Premier Doug Ford um, calls the vandalism disgusting. He said there is no place in Canada for hate like this. And while we might disagree on matters, we must always respect each other. And there were a lot of conservatives who echoed the Premier's comments. Um, I think it's worth noting that one of the scary things that we've seen is the hate that happens on social media um, emerging in real life. And Catherine McKenna, the Environment Minister, has been a very polarizing um person on uh, social media and the fact that she um, has had has needed RCMP protection at times because of the threats um, against her is very very disturbing yeah. um, and she clearly expressed that frustration uh, on Thursday morning yeah all right Althea I appreciate you joining us today have a great weekend oh thank you Mark you too thanks that's Althea Raj HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief There's a fire burning in the Prairie Provinces here, and what I am doing is offering the Prime Minister a fire extinguisher. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues the West has found an easy scapegoat with the Trudeau government. Wacom writes, The rest of Canada might be puzzled by Alberta and Saskatchewan blaming Justin Trudeau for their economic woes. The oil sands are suffering because the price of crude is down and because they are so expensive to exploit, not because of any federal government decision. But that is unlikely to soothe the mood. People are mad, and the federal government is a convenient target. At globalnews.ca, Sean Simpson considers what Justin Trudeau needs to do to regain Canadians' trust. Simpson writes, Voters have put Trudeau in the penalty box. How he will re-earn the trust of Western Canadians while at the same time not further stoking nationalist sentiment in Quebec, remains to be seen. To successfully push his agenda, he will need to do more than borrow some votes from Jagmeet Singh. He may also need to piggyback on some of Singh's own leadership credentials. At National News Watch, Andrew Jackson argues that the Liberal focus on tax cuts came as a bit of a surprise. Jackson writes, It turns out that the top Liberal priority is not the climate crisis or pharmacare, but rather a tax cut taken straight out of the Conservatives' playbook. Most progressives would prefer they fund other priorities, such as clean and renewable energy, public transit, or health care. But the Prime Minister seems to have already made up his mind. Call me a cynic, but this looks like yet another case of the Liberals campaigning from the left and governing from the right. In the Ottawa Citizen, Randall Denley argues, Andrew Scheer's decision to sideline Doug Ford cost him dearly in Ontario. Denley writes, All Justin Trudeau had to do in Ontario was keep repeating his mantra of Doug Ford cuts. The challenge for Scheer was how to counter that, and the decision was to ask Ford to lay low so that Scheer could pretend he didn't exist. That made it seem as if Scheer agreed with Trudeau that a conservative government making cuts was a bad thing. It was a weak play that became significantly weaker when Scheer released a platform proposing $53 billion in cuts. Now, let's look at what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. It's pretty quiet. The Prime Minister will be in private meetings today. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, October 25th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.